You're listening to the Detroit Worldwide Podcast, where we highlight the stories of Native Detroiters that are doing great things in their community and using their impact across the globe. I'm Marquise Taylor. Welcome to the D. What up, though? Welcome to another installment of the Detroit Worldwide Podcast. I am Marquise Taylor, and on this week's edition of the podcast, we had the opportunity to break bread with a gentleman by the name of Tyler Hendon, who is an author and HR professional that is coming to us live out of Atlanta, Georgia. In this episode, you're going to learn about the inspiration behind Tyler's book, which is called Mirage, how social media impacts the way we think, feel, and behave. It was released in late 2021 and goes into great detail about our connection to social media and how it influences the way we see ourselves and the world around us. I love connecting with Black authors especially those that produce quality content that evoke deep thought and conversation. Tyler's book is an example of these great qualities as he presents readers with an informative work that surveys the landscape of social media. As someone who came of age on social media, as a teenager growing up in the late 90s and early 2000s, I found this book to be very relatable especially when he discussed the distinction between our online identity and real-life persona and how it is important to find a healthy balance between the two. This book continues to rack up positive reviews and comes highly recommended by yours truly. So do yourselves a favor, support Black authors, and also purchase Tyler's book. Now, All of that being said, you have heard enough from me. So why don't we dive into the discussion that I had with the one and only Tyler Hendon. All right, this is Detroit Worldwide. And today we have the pleasure of sitting down with an author by the name of Mr. Tyler Hendon. He released a book back in 2021 called Mirage. And it discusses how social media impacts the way we think, feel, and behave. It is a very informative and entertaining read. So we're going to discuss the inspiration behind this book, as well as his amazing background. So Tyler, thank you so much for joining us on the podcast today. What up, though? What up, though? Appreciate you, Marquis. Man, I appreciate you. And before we get started, I have to send a big shout out to the homie Phil Lewis. He connected the two of us. Phil is someone that we had on the podcast way back in 2019. He has been a strong advocate of the work that we're doing here on the trade worldwide. So thank you, Phil, for connecting the two of us. So, Tyler, I do want to first make sure that our listening audience knows about you. So why don't you begin by telling us a little bit about yourself and 
all of the amazing work that you currently do. Yeah, man. So a little bit about me. Born and raised in the city, man. Born and raised in Detroit. Right now, work-wise, I'm working for Chick-fil-A as a human resources executive. So I've been doing that for a few months. Pretty new. I have my own consulting company, so I work as a business consultant. I've been doing that since 2018. And I'm a writer now, man. Crazy. I'm writing books. So uh, I wrote Mirage. Well, finished Mirage in the last year and ended up putting it out there into the world. Now, before we talk about the book, I do have to circle back to where it all began, the city of Detroit. So what did life look like for you growing up in the D, bro? Yeah, man. So I grew up right in between Six Mile and Seven Mile on the west side of the city. We were probably about two, three blocks away from Mumford. And the city's been good to me, man. You know, I was primarily raised by my mother, grandmother, and aunt. You know, I'm thankful to say that they always provided and made a way for our family. You know, my mom, she always worked and really stayed on top of her game, man, to make sure, you know, we didn't go without anything or make sure we didn't have to struggle, you know, didn't have to go long periods with the lights on and well, life off, I'm sorry, and all these other, you know, crazy things that I saw growing up in the city, you know, growing up in the hood. So I grew up around a lot of love, man, some really good women that really, you know, instill good morals in me, good values. And they did that not just by telling me, but by showing me. So I, I appreciate the city for what it gave me. Now, as a follow-up to that question, in what ways did growing up in Detroit shape or influence your outlook on life? It's a great question, man. I would say the way it shaped and influenced me is I think the first thing that the city taught me is that you have to hustle. You know, like if you really want something out of life, you really do have to work for it because everyone I was around, everybody I looked up to worked and they had to go out there and get it, man. And I didn't really see anybody that, you know, got too many handouts or too many opportunities where they didn't have to apply themselves. Really what I saw is people that had to earn, you know, everything that they have. And so I think that's the first thing, man, the city really taught me is that if you do want to get somewhere in life, you have to hustle, you have to earn it, and you got to believe in your dream. And you might have to fail a little bit too, or in some cases a lot. So I would say that's the, the main thing. The second thing, man, is I think the city showed me that life is precious. You know, I think Detroit's a really unique place. You look at the grand scheme of our country because, you know, Detroit is very central black city and I think it has a unique culture and we have a lot of good things going on and at the same time you know some of us grew up around a lot of you know craziness between the violence drug addiction and whatever that may look like I think at a young age I realized that life is precious and that you know we have to be thankful for every day that we have and it's very easy to, to not be thankful you know when you wake up in the morning and you just cruising through and going to work and all that but when I really look back at like my childhood and everything that my family gave me, I think it makes me really thankful for the lessons I learned and for, for what I was taught and for me to be in the position that I am in right now. Yeah, and as you alluded to, people from the D in so many ways, they get it out the mud and we think about these goals that we have or things that we want to accomplish. And as you kind of shared, there's no easy way to get to those things. Now... You join a long lineage of graduates from Michigan State and we've had on a podcast, I shouted out Phil Lewis. We've had other individuals, Courtney Hicks, Greg Kelser, just to name a few people. But 
I'm very curious to know what was the biggest lesson that you were able to learn during your time in East Lansing and at Michigan State? Man, I think the biggest thing I got out of going to state was being exposed to different cultures. You know, I think that growing up, spending so much time for me in Detroit, Chicago, the culture may not be that different when you go up around a lot of our people, right? Obviously, we're not all the same, but culturally, there may not be a lot of shifts. But when you go to Michigan State, man, it's like you meet people from all around the world and from, you know, people that grew up way different than you and their parents do different things that you do and their family comes from a different place that you come from. And like, I think that really helped me to learn more about just life in general and the world in general because I was exposed to people that I knew nothing about. And so I think me as a naturally curious person, it created a really good opportunity for me to just learn and to be exposed to things I hadn't been exposed to. So I would say the biggest thing that I got at Michigan State was really man, people, relationships, and just exposure, more exposure to what the world looks like outside of what I was accustomed to. Man, I love that response. I love the fact that you were willing to, in many ways, step out of your comfort zone to learn more about people's backgrounds and just using the opportunity as a, as a time to learn, grow, and develop. Because I think college, oftentimes, we think that is the place where we go to get a job, graduate, make money. And you, of course, you graduated with a degree in journalism, but you used that time wisely to connect with other people. And that's something that I appreciated about that response. Now, as I heard you talking, and I did not notice about you, is that you grew up in Detroit and Chicago at the same time. Talk to me more about that. Like, What was the distinction between Chicago and Detroit? Yeah, yeah, Marquis. So, you know, Chicago has a special place in my heart because a lot of my family is there and from Chicago. And so, you know, when I was a child, my, my father, brother, sister, and stepmother all live in Chicago. So I would spend you know, summers in Chicago when I would go there for holidays and I got to spend a pretty significant amount of time connecting with my family there. So Chicago's always been like a second home to me. And, you know, around the time I was 18, 19 years old, my father actually helped me get a job in Chicago and he helped me save up for my first car. And so, you know, during those summers when I was 18, 19 years old, I really got to connect with him and get to know him and build a relationship with him. And, I think that's why that city feels so significant to me because it allowed me to connect with my family on a deeper level. And now whenever I go to Chicago, I can still feel that love and that sense of family and I can still connect with all those memories that we made. And I can still, you know, pull up on my dad and see his smile and realize that, you know, this is the city where we made our connection and reason why we have a bond today. Man, that, that's dope, man. It's so, so amazing to hear. And, the fact that you were able to call two places home, well, growing up, calling two places home, I think that's something that people don't always have the opportunity to experience. So that response right there is something I, I definitely appreciate. Now, in late 2021, you made your debut as an author by releasing your first book called Mirage, How Social Media Impacts the Way We Think, Feel, and Behave. So, wondering if you can tell us more about this book and what inspired you to write it. Yeah, so Mirage, man, it really revolves around those, those three concepts, the think, the feel, and behave. 
and you'll probably hear me say that a lot or anyone that watched the interview with me will talk about will get to see me talk about that a lot because you know back in early 2019 i became really curious about how is the internet and internet culture influencing what people think how is it influencing our feelings and emotions and then ultimately how is that influencing our actions you know the choices that we make in our real lives when we put our phones down how is the stuff that we're seeing online impacting our decision making and what we believe to be true and what we think may not be true so really man you know around that time early 2019 i started reading as much as i can and started trying to really think about how social media is impacting the world and how it, it impacted me in my life and so with the book man i really wanted to create something that was informative but also not like boring you know i wanted people to be able to connect to it and to be able to see that it was written by like a regular person and it's not just like some you know university research study that just has all these you know really good resources in it and all these citations but it's actually something that you can tell was written by like a regular person that you could probably relate to and understand that maybe when you look at that person you can see that person may have had similar experiences with you in relation to social media and media culture so throughout this book you were able to peel back layers and by doing that you were able to showcase your vulnerability so how important was it for you to be vulnerable in these moments? And why do you feel that people are reluctant to showcase their vulnerability on social media? Yeah, Marquise, I really appreciate that question, man. And once again, you know, I appreciate you for taking the time to read it. You know, I really felt like if I wasn't vulnerable, then the book wouldn't be as important because I wanted people to be able to know that like a real person wrote this and I wanted them to be able to look not just at me but but to be able to look at themselves and say like you know this guy in the first book he ever wrote to talk about his personal life and his own struggles and failures and you know significant parts of his life that maybe weren't easy maybe I can do the same thing maybe I can be honest with myself about my struggles and my behavior and maybe when I think about how social media or media culture is impacting my life, I can be very honest and it can mean something to me. So I really wanted it, man, to just mean something to people and to not just be like a regular body of work. I didn't want my book to feel like a dictionary or to just feel like, uh, like a research study, like I mentioned before. But I wanted people to relate to it, man, and really get something out of it because... To me, I'm like, if you're asking people to listen to you and to give you a voice, you know, that's a heavy ask. You're asking them to spend money on you. You're asking them to invest their time and energy into something that you created. And with me as an independent author, you got to think there are so many people that have never heard of me and they don't know anything about me, just realistically. So in my mind, I'm like, if somebody reads this, I want it to be excellent and I want it to be something that they really benefit from so they can say like, wow, you know what? I didn't know who that guy was before but I appreciate him for putting that together because I benefited from it. And then maybe I can find someone else that can benefit from it. Yeah. I mean, you, you definitely are being vulnerable as early as the first two chapters, just talking about things that went on with your family and just instances that you had growing up. Now, second part of that question, why do you feel that people are reluctant to 
express vulnerability on social media? Man, I think it's it's a slippery slope because you can be vulnerable and saying exactly how you feel and online you can get attacked just by saying what you feel and by being honest. So it's almost like at any point your opinion could absolutely be used as like a weapon against you, especially if it's over like a controversial topic or something that people really don't agree with you on. And so I think in a weird way, social media has created this kind of debate culture that to me is a little bit unhealthy because it kind of forces people to groupthink, like going along with what the majority believe is right. And that could be true or it could not be true. But over anything, I think that it creates this weird space to where people can easily be persecuted for what they believe. And I also think that it creates this space to where we don't take as much time to realize that there are people in the world that don't see the world and they don't see life in the same way that we do. So it becomes very easy for us to go against them as opposed to trying to understand why they think the way that they do. Man, your response has so many layers to it. But the thing that I want to come back to is groupthink, which is also a segue into my next question. Now, echo chamber is a phrase that you use throughout this book. So could you define the meaning of echo chamber and how it relates to understanding different perspectives on social media? Yeah, man. So an echo chamber is essentially like something you put out into the world that comes right back at you that you interpret as being true. Right. So it's almost like if everyone on my timeline is from Detroit, the majority of us have a pretty certain set view about a political topic. And so when I put it out into the world, most likely the other people on my timeline are going to agree with it because we may have that same view. And so it's an echo chamber because I could then see that message, receive it back. And then believe, oh, okay, this is what the world thinks about this topic, or this is what the majority of people think about this topic, so it must be true. When in fact, it may not be a very wide set of beliefs because it's an echo chamber. And by that meaning, it's coming back at us. So it's one of those things, man, that we see a lot online because it's very easy to follow and connect with people that see the world the same as you because we're most comfortable with those people. You know, Marquise, what I see a lot of is that most people don't spend the time to pay attention to people that maybe have a worldview that's different than theirs. And so it's very easy for us to create these spaces to where we're comfortable with everything that comes at us because it's like, okay, I'm cool with this. It makes me happy. And that's essentially the, the gist of what an echo chamber revolves around. For sure. And the thing that I appreciate, you know, with this echo chamber, you don't necessarily have to share your viewpoint on this topic, but of course, over the last couple of weeks, the thing that happened at the Oscars between Will Smith and Chris Rock, there has been differing perspectives on who is at fault. And I think this is very timely that we're having this conversation, just given what's happened over the course of the last couple of weeks. But social media isn't going anywhere. So (laughs) this book is very relevant and probably will be relevant for a long time. Now, speaking of the future, what do you feel that the future looks like for social media? And how can your book help us to understand 
what's on the horizon? Well, you know, man, when, if you look at just the world in general, there are more and more people getting online every day. So the ability to get online and get connected with other people is becoming easier worldwide. So that's the first thing, right? We're going to see more and more people that are connected and that want to use social media and all these different platforms to explore, right? And to learn about the world outside of what they can see and get to in a physical space. So I would say that's first. Second, I think we're going to see, and we're seeing it now, a rising number of young people that are in some ways or another being raised online. So they're going to get a pretty significant amount of their views and beliefs from things that they see on the internet or on social media. With, of course, the, the asterisk being what they're being taught by, you know, parents and friends and family. And so that is happening and will continue to happen as we see people younger and younger that are growing up with screens in front of them, you know, and that are connected to all these different platforms. You know, I think one thing I think, Marquise, is that I'm not someone that sees social media as like all bad or thinks like, okay, everything that's happening online is a bad thing. Because I do think people are resilient. And if you just look at the history of human beings, we've shown the ability to be resilient through change. And so I think that we will survive, right? I don't think there's going to be like any Terminator type sequence <laughs> of, you know, social media taking over the world. But I would say the biggest thing that concerns me is as our lives become more connected online, how are the adults of the world understanding or taking the time to understand how these changes are impacting our children, right? And younger people and the young adults. And that's why I think my book is relevant because I try to put everything in as much plain English as possible. And I do think that any person that connects with the book will have just a little bit easier of a time when they get online because they're going to be less likely to push themselves to compare themselves to the next person or less likely to believe any random tweet or any random post that they see online. Now, Tyler, we are heading into the home stretch, and we are now approaching one of my favorite segments on the podcast, which is about music. And everybody who comes on Detroit Worldwide, I ask them this following question. If they can identify a song that best represents Detroit, in their opinion, what would that song be? I know we spent the better part of our interview talking about your book, but I love music, and I'm curious to hear your response. So hit me, bro. Oh, man. See, okay, I'm gonna, the song that I think I connect with the most from the city is from my, my favorite rapper, Payroll, Payroll Giovanni. So Payroll's always been like my favorite artist for a long time now. I would say his series of songs, Hustler Music, I think he's got Hustler Music one through four out now. But I really think that's Detroit, man. Like, just get up, go get it, make it happen. Don't make a bunch of excuses. Like, take care of your family, handle what you have to handle, and and make it and survive. So if I had to pick anything, it'd be the, the hustling music series on payroll. 
I love that. And what's interesting about interviewing so many people on the podcast is that you all hit me to different artists from different eras. And I'm going to make sure to add that to the playlist because I think I know the song, but I'm not as hip. So thank you for putting the, the old man on something. <laughs> something new. Get out of here, man. <laughs> nah, for sure, for sure. So, Tyler, man, I'm curious to know, what do you have going on next? And how can we as a community take an active role in supporting you and your work? Thank you, man. Amazing question. So, really, man, I'm still promoting the book. You know, I'm I'm learning, man, so much about what it takes to, to have a successful book and to make that work and to connect it with people. So, I'm still supporting the book. So, anyone interested to find out more about the book, they can actually go to my website. It's themiragebook.com. I have, you know, some really cool content on there, a link to purchase. So anyone looking to support, they can do it there. And then, of course, I'm on social media, oddly enough, right? You kind of have to be in those places if you want to connect with people. You can find more information about the book on Facebook and on Instagram. And that would be via uh, Mirage, how social media impacts the way we think, feel, and behave. And actually, I think on Instagram is just miragebook underscore. So very easy to find, man, but I'm excited to keep putting out content because I can't ultimately see myself getting to a point to where I do another book. As long as it's, you know, coming from the right place, I could really see me doing more things in the writing space. Man, well, we will definitely make sure we get all of your information in the show notes. But if you do decide to write another book, you definitely have a vote of confidence for me because this is super easy to read and very relatable. Like I said before, my experience with social media, late 90s, early 2000s, but I still found the content very relatable and also hearing it from your perspective too, man. Man, keep up the good work. I'm excited to see what the future holds for you. Thank you, Marquise. I appreciate that, man. For sure, for sure. So I know you shouted out the website and some of the other social media spaces. Any other ways that people can get in contact with you if they want to find you? Man, I'm pretty easy to find. Tyler Hendon, pretty much where I'm at on all my social media. Um, and then, of course, I'm on LinkedIn as well. If anyone wants to connect with me there, Tyler Hendon, T-Y-L-E-R, last name H-E-N-D-O-N. So really easy to find, man. All right, Tyler, final question as we close out. And that question is simple. What does Detroit mean to you? Family. I, I got to go with family, man. Whenever I think of the D, I think about all the experiences I've had with my people. I think about Thanksgiving at my auntie's house. And I think about my mama trying to hide Christmas presents, <laughs> you know, in our two-bedroom house in Detroit, man. I just think about everything I've been given, man, and all my blessings. And I think about family, man. I think about faith. And I'm thankful for it all. Well, Tyler, I'm thankful for this interview, man. I'm thankful for the opportunity that I had to read this book. You were very vulnerable. You were very transparent. You spoke about tragedies that you faced. You spoke about blessings that you received. And you just spoke about life. So thank you so much for joining us on the podcast, man. Much appreciated. Oh, man, thank you for having me. And I appreciate you once again, man, for really tapping into it and for for taking it seriously and for giving me this opportunity to speak on your podcast. Hey, man, most definitely. We got to support one another, man. Again, shout out to the homie Phil Lewis for connecting the two of us. And 
I have to say, Spartan is always giving me great interviews. So anytime a Spartan wants to come on Detroit Worldwide, I always make sure I give them a space. So many blessings to you, my friend. Thank you, man. I will talk to you soon. All right, for sure. Well, on behalf of Tyler Hendon, I am Marquise Taylor. This is Detroit Worldwide, and we will both holler at y'all on the other side. Peace. Loving what you're hearing? Then feel free to visit our new website, where you can listen to previous episodes, explore our Black Business Directory, and also check out other content related to this platform. Head over to DetroitWorldwide.com to learn more. And if you're listening on an Apple device, feel free to subscribe, rate, and review. This platform would not exist without your support. I thank you.